Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. So before we get into the Word of God, I have to tell you this because I just got a text and I'm super excited about it. My nephew, Wilder, some of you know him as Bubs, he was in his tournament for hockey this morning. He's nine, so it's a big deal. And uh, his mom and dad are actually not here. They had, they're away this weekend taking some time for their marriage. And Bubby's team was up against the undefeated red team. And the red team dominated all year. And at the end of the third period, they were down five to three, and they came back and they tied it. And I just got a text that they won in overtime. So we're pretty excited about that because we are, one, we're a hockey family, and we two, we are huge Bubs fans. So if anything Bubs-related, we are about, and I'm so excited for him. So when he comes in, he will not want any attention about it, but you got to give him all the attention about it, okay? <laughs> so... Um, my name is Heather, if we haven't met, and I am a part of the leadership of this church, and I cannot believe that it's almost been 10 years that we've been doing this. That feels absolutely unbelievable and totally believable all at the same time. Um, oh, I also have to give a shout out to my friend Andrew. Look at these plants, you guys. Are these not amazing? I know, some of you don't care about plants at all, but I actually love them a lot. They bring me a lot of joy. And um, my friend Andrew has a sponsor for the Rivermen who provides plants for corporate events. And he texted me one day and he said, I have a brilliant idea. We're doing Back to the Garden and the Garden of Eden and I can get us plants. Would you like that? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I would love that. He said, what week do you want them on? I said, well, duh, the week that I preach. I would like to be surrounded by beautiful plants. So I'm sorry to the rest of you preaching and back to the garden. I got the plants. Um, the last time, oh, and I'm really grateful that we are all clothed and we're not going to have to take some of these fig leaves and <laughs> sew them together because that would be awkward, especially since I have no idea how to sew. So <laughs> it would be like super glued together. Um, the last time that I was up here and I preached, something interesting happened. Uh, for those of you who don't know this, we all of us here that lead this church and that are on the teaching team, we all have other full-time jobs. Uh, preaching is a side gig, but we take it very seriously. We don't just throw something on paper and come up and say some words. We actually spend hours and hours and hours praying asking the Lord for a word, studying. You know, there's a scripture that says you should not add or take away anything from scripture. And we take that very seriously. I, even this week, I was wrestling with the Lord, thinking like, Lord, I don't want to say something that is out, outside of the boundaries of your word and your revelation that would mislead the people in our church. Help me not to do that. So we take it very seriously. So when I preach, I usually um, have a word and some ideas, and I, I should have brought my notes to show you because it's ridiculous. I mean, it's literally pages and pages. I still write it all down because I'm kind of old school like that, and if I write it down, I can remember it. I know we have computers, and we can type and, and stuff like that, but it helps me to write it down. So I have pages and pages and pages of notes that I somehow have to whittle down to fit inside a message to give to you. So the last time that I preached, um, I sat in the same chair in our living room and worked on my message for the entire week before that Sunday. I usually block off on my calendar enough time to be able to do that. So I say no to extra things and, and I just, I'm going to, I'm going to be preaching this week. So I'm going to study this week. So I sat in the same chair, looked at the same wall, ate the same food. I did everything exactly the same for five days. And at the end of those five days, I felt dead. Like I had not seen or done anything out of the ordinary for five days, except of course, study the word of God, which was awesome. But I was just like, my creative brain was going a little crazy. And I said to my sister, Holly, I said, would you 
do me a favor. And the next time that I preach, it's like I was chained to that chair. Like someone had put me in it and said, write a message. And no one had done that. I said, would you hold me accountable? And the next time I preach, would you remind me that I'm allowed to go out in public? Would you remind me that I could go to a coffee shop? I could go to a friend's house. I could go anywhere but this chair staring at that wall. She said, yes, I will definitely remind you of that. Thank you. Well, fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, and I knew that I was preaching today, and last minute, I had an opportunity to go away this week, um, to go to the West Coast. And my first response was, no, I can't do that. I'm preaching this week. I can't add that, a trip away, into my schedule. And then the Lord said, really? You can't? Okay, okay, well, maybe I can. So last Sunday after church, um, we drove down to St. Louis, and we got on an airplane, and the sun was setting. And right as we got up over the clouds, this was my view. And I heard the Lord say, come up here, and I will show you what I want you to see. Come up here. As soon as we got up over the clouds, the Lord started downloading. His voice was speaking to me. And I remembered this from Revelation. If you've been here for six months, then you know we've been spending a lot of time in Revelation. and We finished that, but we keep going back to it because we just really weren't ready to leave it yet. Revelation 4.1 says, Then as I looked... I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast, and the voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. The Lord is calling our gaze higher. He's calling us to look up. Chris just talked about this when he was closing out that worship set. He's saying, don't just look up, come up here to see things from a higher perspective. He literally took me out of that chair that I was sitting in up above the clouds, physically took me up above the clouds and gave me a new perspective and began to download what he wants us to hear today. And the Lord showed me something else. I want you to look at this plain window. I don't know if you can see it very well. You can see it in this middle screen. What, what do you see up here on this window? Scratches. Lots and lots and lots of scratches. We won't get into how those scratches got there because that bothers me a lot. <laughs> Somebody was like, get me out of here. But those scratches on that window were obstructed Constructing the view of creation that he had, that he had for me to see. I kept trying to take a picture, and the camera would zoom in on the scratches. And I would zoom back out, and I would try to zoom in again, try to reposition my camera. And it kept picking up the scratches. And I heard the Lord say this, those are like scratches in our lives. You lost your job. Scratch. And it's all you can see. It's all you can focus on. There's a relationship that's falling apart. Another scratch. You have these health issues that just don't seem to be going away. One after another, they keep coming back. More scratches. You've lost some friends. Some of you have lost some friends emotionally. Some of you have physically lost some friends to death. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Someone's betrayed you. Scratch. You feel unseen. You feel left out. You feel unnoticed. Scratch. Now add in whatever your issue is. Scratch, scratch, scratch. All of those things that I just said are things that came from you. Things that you personally told me are happening and the way they're clouding your perspective on your life right now. Now, are those scratches real? Andrew, can you put that picture back up? Are they real? Are they there? Yes. 
And everything you're going through in your life right now, every scratch in your life is also very real. And I'm not downplaying it at all. We all have them. But for some of you, it's all you're looking at. You're zooming in on your life and all you can see are the scratches, the hard things. And today the Lord is saying, come up here. Let me show you from a new perspective. Let me show you from my perspective. The scratches are still there, but I want you to look through them. I want you to look through them at my purpose and my plan and my creation. Here's another thing that I know. Those windows, they can be replaced, right? Those scratches will not always be there because at some point, someone's going to realize that that plane window is almost clawed through and they're going to be like, we need to replace that window. And we have a God who does that in our lives. He makes all things new. He is in the process right now of making things new in your life. This takes me back to Revelation 21. I told you we can't leave it, totally. It's just so beautiful how the Lord ties all of this in together. His scripture it does not stand alone, isolated. It's all connected in a beautiful pattern, in a beautiful way. Revelation 21 said this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. I want you to remember that phrase. He will live with them. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. I want you to hear that today. The Lord is making everything new. He is in the process of replacing the scratched window that you're looking through. He is in the process of making new the things in your life that are keeping you from seeing his creation and fully enjoying the purpose for which he created you in it. Now, during that process, while he's making it new, those scratches are still there. They're very real. But fix your gaze past it. Put your focus on him. Now, Andrew, put that last photo up. Believe it or not, this is the same window. What do you see now? Hello? No scratches. You see the sunset. Finally, finally I was able to get my camera to zoom past the scratches and focus on the sunset. That's what he's asking of you today. He is longing to be with you. He is longing to show his glory, his majesty to you. And I believe he wants to start doing that in your life in a new and fresh way today. He wants to show you how much he adores you. A few weeks ago, the Lord told me that this message today was all about his love for us. That through his creation... As we study his creation, he wants to show you how much he loves you. Ephesians 3 says this, Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And listen, the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Think about that for a moment. The resting place of his love will become the very source and the root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. 
how enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. In Revelation 21, we saw that God was making all things new, that he is in the process of that, that the kingdoms of this world, when you look at things in this world, the kingdoms of this world that are that appear to be crumbling or that a appear to be very powerful. God is in the process of making those kingdoms his kingdoms. The kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of our God. That's part of this making all things new process. But verse three there says, look, God's home is now among his people. He makes all things new and he is among his people. He lives with them. It says God himself will be with them. That's where we're going. But where did it start? How did it start? Months and months and months ago, Chris was asking the Lord, where do we go after Revelation? You've heard this. He said it. And the Lord said, go back to the beginning. And in Genesis 3, we're told that Adam and Eve, God's first creation of humans, they were in a garden and God was with them. God started with them. Genesis 3, 8 says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in a garden. Now, there was a whole sin issue that had just happened, and this is where they were ashamed and tying fig leaves together. But that's for next week. (laughs) The point is, God's initial plan was to be with you. Things got a little bit muddy because of sin. See, God loves you so much that he did not create you to be a robot. Do you think that he could have created you to be a robot? Yes, absolutely he could have. He could have had us all do his bidding and and, and honor him and worship him and give him adoration and do exactly what he wanted us to do. But that is not love. Love does not force adoration or obedience or loyalty. God made us with free will, free will to choose him or not to choose him. He doesn't force us to love him or to obey him, but he desires it. He desires that we pour out his, our love to him. So we've had three weeks of intro into Genesis um, and That was awesome and necessary. But now we're going to actually jump into Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning. Ike mentioned a couple of weeks ago that just like we did in Revelation, we're going to do the same thing in Genesis. And we're not going to major on different theories regarding anything in Genesis. In Revelation, we we made a point to teach what Scripture says and not go outside of those boundaries, but also not to put our own theories into the pages of Scripture. So we're not going to get into things like young earth creation or old earth creation, even though I know some of you in here are like, shoot, I wanted her to tell me what is right. Go read the Bible for yourself and figure it out. And to be honest, when I read the creation account, I definitely lean a certain way. I would place myself in a camp, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. (laughs) And I personally know really godly people who have a lot of discernment and who hear from the Lord who lean a different way than I do. And here's the point. I might be right. They might be right. Neither of us may be right. That's not the main thing. There are absolutes in scripture. There are things in scripture that are indisputable. But as I've studied the Bible and as I've matured in wisdom, I've learned that there are also maybes. There's some gray area in there. But what's happened is that the enemy has used the differences of beliefs to stir up chaos and division between God's people and take it away from the main thing. 
So we end up fighting over and separating ourselves into these different groups and making our mark and saying, I will die on this hill. And all the while, the world looks on and they're like, really? They believe the Bible to be true, but they can't even agree on, on it together. And the world laughs and mocks us because we've spent so much time disagreeing on something we don't even know for certain. So we miss the main point of creation. And instead of following the examples of Yahweh, who in the midst of creation was subduing chaos, we actually stir up chaos. We mimic the enemy and not Yahweh. So I think we need to end up asking how, or not, instead of asking how did it happen, we should be asking why. Why did it happen? Think about this. If a friend unexpectedly walks into your house, okay, it always comes back to gifts for me because I love gifts. They walk into your house and they hand you a gift and you open it up and it's beautifully wrapped and, and it's an extravagant gift. Something you, it, it just catches you completely off guard. Has anybody ever had that happen? Wow. Okay, we need to be better gift givers, people. I'm serious. Like there's so much joy in giving a gift. Let's do better at that. Let's do better at giving extravagant gifts. It doesn't mean it has to cost a lot of money. One of the most beautiful gifts I was given this year was a video made by many of you with words, beautiful words of thankfulness that you spoke over Chris and myself. It was beautiful. And it just took some time and energy and some, some willingness for people to say things. So let's, let's be better gift givers, okay? Agree? Ah, my husband is saying yes. That's amazing. <laughs> so someone comes in and they give you this beautiful gift and you open it up. And what's your first response? Why? Why did you give me this? It's not my birthday. It's not my anniversary. It's not Christmas. Why? It's not how. How did you drive to the store and buy this? How did you wrap this? How did you cut the paper? How did you peel the tape and put it on the wrapping paper? No, it's why did you do this for me? Why am I receiving your love and adoration right now? And I think we focused so much on the how that we've lost the why. So let's do this, okay? Let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom and understanding on the things that are disputed and then have grace with one another if we disagree on some of those things. And let's focus on why. I am going to give you some data points as we go through this passage to teach you some things in this text. As I'm sure you've realized here at this church, we don't always necessarily just stop at the scripture, we dive a little bit deeper and say what's underneath. Um, and so I'm going to give you some of those data points, and, and I want you to hear me clearly. I am not trying to convince you to move from one side of a theory or another. I am challenge you to dig into the text yourself and let the Lord speak to you. Every single person here in this room has the ability to hear from the Lord and to get insight from his word. So I would ask you to focus your gaze on why. He wants to show you the why, and he wants to speak to you through his creation. You ready to go? Okay. Genesis 1, 1 through 31. When God created the heavens and the earth, would you say that with me? When God created the heavens and the earth, this is an absolute. It is perfectly clear who the creator of the world is, and not just the world, but the universe. Who was it? God. God created the world. Isaiah 45, 18, there are actually hundreds of verses that 
uh, point back to this that confirm it, and we only have time for one today. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in. How cool is that? God made the world for you to live in, for you to enjoy, for you to um, multiply and, and, and plant gardens and have creative ideas and build and grow a family and start businesses and enjoy and have pleasure in. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. So that's pretty clear. God created the world. Keep going. The earth was completely formless and empty with nothing but darkness draped over the deep. Again, let's look at another place in scripture that confirms this. Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. When God created the world, there was nothing. At his command, at his voice, he spoke and things were created. Next verse, God's spirit hovered over the face of the waters. Now we've already established that God was present at creation But here we see that the second person of the Trinity was also present at creation, the spirit. And one of the things that I learned in this study is that that word hovered is actually more of like fluttering, like a mama bird flutters over her nest of young ones, protecting it and guarding it and watching keeping it safe, keeping them safe. The word hovered kind of makes you think like a helicopter mom, right? Like hovering over their kid as they're drinking a juice box and they're like, oh, Johnny, you shouldn't be drinking that. I don't know, the people don't talk that way, but you know. (laughs) Hovering, hovering, it doesn't really evoke feelings of, of anything great, right? But when you think of a mama bird and her wings fluttering over her nest, protecting her baby birds, that evokes a feeling of protection, of being cared for. So we know that God was present in creation. We know that the spirit was present in creation. And later on in the passage, it says, Let us make man in our own image, us. Another translation says we will make man in our own image. There was a third being there, Jesus. Now, is he named in this account of Genesis 1? No, his name isn't in here. But if we go to some other passages in the Bible, we see that it was. John 1 says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. Who was the word? Jesus. Jesus is the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. How cool is this? God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And then Colossians 1 also backs this up, and it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus was the one who came down to earth who people saw, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. He made the physical world, and he made the spiritual world, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else, and he holds all creation together. How cool is that? That in the New Testament, we've got proof of what happened at the very beginning. 
I heard a pastor once say that before the creation of earth and before we were all created, before the creation of humans, there was community. There was a community of the Trinity. There was a circle of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they were in this beautiful fellowship, this beautiful community together, three in one. How many of you here would say you value community? Community is important, isn't it? It's where you're seen. It's where you're heard. It's where you can, you can be real with people and say, you're having a really bad week and you need some help. It's where you can celebrate. You can cheer people on, like Teddy getting his adoption date. I'm so freaking excited about that. I was in a hotel doing a happy dance in my bathroom when I got that text. That's what happens in community. There's joy and pleasure and fellowship. And that existed in the Trinity before we were ever here. What's interesting is that all other religions believe that their gods came from something. Some of them even believe that their gods came up out of like nasty ooze. Oh yeah, we believe in God. He came up out of that mucky, miry, oozy pit over there, gross. No, they already existed. And how interesting that their community and their fellowship, it was perfect. It was perfect. How many of you can say your community is perfect? Nope. You ever fought with anybody in your community? You ever been hurt by anybody in your community? You ever lied to anybody in your community? I have. Theirs was perfect. And yet God still wanted to invite us in. To enjoy. To enjoy what they had. Let that sink in for a moment. Let's keep going in Genesis. And then God announced, let there be light. Who is thankful for light? When I went and woke my daughter up this morning, she popped her head up and then she looked at the clock and she said, what time is it? It's really light outside. Yes, God allows that light to come up every single day. It says the light burst Fourth, Can you even imagine that? Yeah, you can because you've seen a sunrise come up and the light just, it fills the whole earth. God saw the light as pleasing and beautiful. He used the light to dispel the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And so evening gave way to morning and that was the first day. Now here's one of those teaching moments, okay? That word day, the first day, say the first day. Say it like you're awake. There we go. The Hebrew word for day that you see written up there is the word yom. Say yom. Which, when translated into English, yom has 50 different translations. Five zero. Obviously, they couldn't come up with a more concise word (laughs) to describe this word, yom, day was the best that they could do. Some of those translations include this, 24-hour day, today, time, forever, continually, life, season, perpetually, period of time. Scripture often speaks of the day of the Lord. Have you heard that phrase before? The day of the Lord. Yes. And it points to that period of time, a period of God's divine activity, a day of the Lord. When that phrase is used, does it mean one 24-hour period? Maybe, probably not. Both Moses and Peter spoke of a day being like a thousand years to the Lord. 
So it's just something to ponder, something to think about. Was it a 24-hour period? Maybe. Was it something else? Possibly. But let's focus on the why more than the how. And let's not let our differing opinions on it separate us and divide us from the main point. Let's keep going. And God said, let there be a dome between the waters to separate the water above from the water below. He made the dome and called it sky. And he separated the water above from the dome, above the dome from the water below the dome. Evening gave way to morning, day two. And God said, let the water beneath the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear. And so it happened. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw the beauty of his creation and he was very pleased. Now let me show you a connection in scripture. If you remember last Sunday, if you were here, Heidi showed us a photo that looked like a rainbow. And it was the connections throughout scripture. It was connections from the, the Old Testament into the New Testament and everything in between. And as I was studying this, I wanted to find out a little bit more about this um, water being separated and then gathered. Something about that stood out to me, gathering, gathering the waters. So as I was reading through, there's a whole bunch of different places, but this one in particular stood out. And I think you'll understand in a minute why. In the book of Job, we find Job who has just had his life really scratched up. Like, you want to talk about scratches? Job had some scratches in every area of his life. And he's having this conversation with the Lord. And he, he asks the Lord this question. And this is how the Lord responds to him. Listen to this. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries? as it burst forth from the womb, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it, if you know. Where does light come from? And where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? <laughs> but of course you know all of this. For you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. Is anybody picking up on a little sarcasm? Did you know God could be sarcastic? I mean, when I read that, I was like, yes, my whole life is now complete. He's telling Job, you have no idea what you're talking about. You ignorant man. You have no idea. So stand there, take it like a man, let me tell you. Who are you to tell me how I created the world? When I was growing up, we went through this um, creation seminar thing and 
They taught us that when you were asked a question about something, about creation, your answer would be, or when they challenged you about something that you believed about creation, your answer would be, were you there? Basically, that's what God's saying to Job. Were you there? Okay, let's keep going. Then God said, let the land burst forth with growth, plants that bear seed of their own kind, plants, one of the most beautiful parts of creation. And every variety of fruit trees, each with power to multiply from its own seed. And so it happened. The land flourished with grasses, every variety of seed-bearing plant and trees bearing fruit with their seeds in them. And God loved what he saw, for it was beautiful. Evening gave way to morning, day three. And God said, let there be bright lights to shine in space, to space to bathe the earth with their light. Let them serve as signs to separate the day from the night and signify the days, seasons, and years. And so it happened. God made two great lights, the brighter light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He also spread the tapestry of shining stars and set them all in the sky to illuminate the earth, to rule over the day and to rule over the night and to separate the light from darkness. God loved what he saw, for it was beautiful. Evening gave way to morning, day four. A couple of weeks ago, we were sitting out on our back deck and my little nephew, um, August, was there. He's three, and I'm slightly crazy about my nephews and my nieces but like there's just something about that little guy that who he when God created him he threw away the mold because that one is special he's sitting on my lap and it is a clear night and we live in the country and so there's no lights and so you just see stars everywhere and it's amazing and he's sitting there and his uncle Chris comes out and he says Augie that's a planet that's Jupiter. Jupiter? Was it Jupiter? Yeah. And Augie goes, whoa, that's the first planet I ever saw. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's the first planet I ever saw. And God put it there for you to enjoy. The stars in the sky, he made them all for you for you to have pleasure in. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the galaxy, galaxies, and everything that spins within them, the things we can see and the things we can't see, the things we can see with the best telescope that exists, the things that we will never see because man cannot possibly create something that can understand the greatness of our God. We see only in part, but someday we will see fully. You know, back in um, ancient Near Eastern culture and religion, worshiping the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars was commonplace. Much of this came from Babylonian religions, and many of their gods were named after the sun, the moon, and the stars, and we still see remnants of that today everywhere we go in the planets. And they worshiped them as if they had power and as if they were gods. And the Hebrew people were in the midst of all of these ancient religions. It's not like the Hebrew people. I think sometimes we think the Hebrew people were very isolated, like just in their little bubble and didn't have any access to the rest of the world. At least that's what I thought for a long time growing up when I would read my Bible. Like they were just protected in this little bubble. No, they were very much in the culture of all the other religions and the nations and the people around them. So much so that God warned his people about this very thing. In Deuteronomy 4, he says, when you look up into the sky and you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. Don't worship them. And yet we still have people today, Christians today, people who say they believe in this book and they follow Jesus that do this. Astrology, zodiac signs, the use of crystals for healing, for energy, this all fits into that category. 
It's worshiping the creation and not the creator. God warned his people about that. And we're warning each other about that today. If you're engaged in anything of that sort, not only are your eyes focused in the wrong direction, you're allowing the enemy to have access. You're allowing open doors in your life for the enemy to slide in. It might seem very, um, like it's not a big deal to you. Zodiac signs. They might seem like they're not going to hurt you. That's not going to hurt you. But what happens in the physical is always mirrored in the spiritual realm. So what you might think is meaningless and harmless, the enemy is like, ha ha, I just got in through an open door. See, creation was not meant to be worshipped. It was meant to point us to the one who created it who spoke it and crafted it into existence. So let me be very clear. If you're engaged in any of that, this is not to shame or to guilt you. It's to inform you and say, walk away from it. Run away from it. Leave it behind today. Leave it behind today and close the door. Repent. Tell the Lord you're sorry. Maybe you didn't know that those things were harming your life. Let me, let me say this very clearly. Some of you have been praying for the Lord to do something in your life, for the Lord to move in your life, and yet you're engaged in some of these activities that are allowing an open door for the devil to come in and cause harm in your life. And until you set that thing down and you walk away from it, you run the opposite direction, the Lord is not going to be able to do the work that you're asking him for in your life. Not because he can't do it but because you're engaging in something that keeps you from being able to see clearly his hand at work in your life. All right, let's keep going. God said, let there be life. Let the waters swarm with sea life and let the sky be filled with soaring birds of every kind. God created huge sea creatures and every living creature that moves of every kind. And if the kids were in here, I would be telling them dinos. God created the dinos because they all love the dinos so much. Swarming in the water and flying in the sky according to their species. God loved what he saw for it was beautiful. God blessed them, saying, reproduce and be fruitful. Fill the waters of the sea with life and the earth with flying birds. And evening gave way to morning, day five. God said, let the earth produce every class and kind of living creature, livestock, crawling things, wild animals, each after its kind. And so it happened. God made the wild animals according to their species, livestock according to their species, and all the creatures that creep along the ground according to their species. And God loved what he saw. How many of you have an, a pet, an animal? Oh, yeah, now the hands go up. How many of you love them so much? Yes, yes, we love our pets, right? I wish I had a picture of my cat right now. I never liked cats, and now I adore our cats. I'm going to get a horse. I am. When I turn 50, I'm getting a horse. Maybe. <laughs> God loved what he created. For it was beautiful. Then God said, let us make a man and a woman in our image to be like us. Let them reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock, over the creatures that creep along the ground, and over the wild animals. So God created man and woman and shaped them with his image inside of them. Shaped them with his image inside of them. How beautiful is that? In his beautiful image, he created his masterpiece. Yes, male and female, he created them. God created the animals and our pets that we love so much. And then God created humans. Scripture calls us his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. The grand finale of everything that you see around you. Scripture is also very clear here. This is one of those things that 
is non-negotiable. God created them male and female. Believe it or not, in the original Hebrew, male means male and female means female. There's no misinterpreting that. There are only two options. And you were created and born one or the other. God's design and plan for you is that he created you as you were biologically born. Anything outside of that is simply a foolish attempt at creating something that only God can create. So God created human beings. And God blessed them in his love, saying, reproduce, have babies. Heidi talked about that a lot. There's a lot of you having babies. And be fruitful. Populate the earth and subdue it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that lives on earth. And God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant growing throughout the earth, vegetables, and every fruit-bearing tree with its seed within itself. They will be your food. They will also be food for every animal and bird and every creature that moves on the ground. Every creature with the breath of life. And so it happened. God surveyed all that he had made and he said, I love it. For it greatly pleased him greatly. Evening gave way to morning, day six. Now I hope that you're picking up on God's response with, with each part of his creation. Has anybody seen it? What is he saying? I love it. I love it. He loved what he created. He took pleasure in it. Some translations say after God created and God saw that it was good, right? Probably most of us, that's what we grew up, grew up reading. God saw that it was good. Now I'm pretty confident it wasn't God being like, eh, that's good. No, no. It was more like after you eat an incredible meal and you lean back and you're like, Oh, that was good. Or you listen to an orchestra or a band. And when it's all finished, you express, just comes out of you. Wow, that was so good. Or when your child does something just amazing and you're blown away by it. And it's chicken scratches on a paper. And they bring it to you and they're like, look. And you're like, wow, this is so good. That's what God was saying. It was a deep expression, a feeling of pleasure. And that's one of the whys. God created the world for pleasure. For his pleasure, for your pleasure. And I believe that when God created people, he was saying, let us, the Trinity, the community that already exists, create something to enjoy this pleasure with. Let's bring them in. Let's bring them in and love it and experience it together. See, we're the only part of creation that was created in his likeness to be like him. He created us to join in the Trinity, to experience the love that already existed. Was love created? No. Love already existed. God's love for you didn't start out small and then grow as you do things to earn his love or as he gets to know you better. You know, when you meet somebody in you like them, and you're like, cool, there's a connection there. And then you're like, oh, I, I love them. It starts out small, right? And then the more time you spend with them, you, you really start to love them. And like, I loved Chris 25 years ago when I met him. I fell in love with him. But now, 25 years later, my love for him is so much greater than it was 25 years ago. But that's not how God's love works. God's love was there, it was already there because God is love. Love was there at the beginning because he is love. 1 John 4 says, whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. His love for you is bigger than you can even fathom. I want you to think of the person, get a picture in your mind right now of the person you love the most. When I say the word you love, fill in the blank. Put that person in your mind. 
God's love for you is so far beyond that, so extravagant. And I think for some of you, that's hard to fathom. It's hard for you to accept the fact that the Father's love for you is extravagant. Because you've measured his love for you by the hard things that he's allowed in your life. Because he didn't stop terrible suffering. Or you've measured his love for you by the way that your own father treated you or treats you. Or you've measured God's love for you based on how other people love you or don't love you. Or you've measured God's love for you based on whether or not you think you deserve it. But let me ask you this question. Has anyone else ever given up their own child for you? Has anyone else asked you to rule and reign and take possession of their entire company, or in this case, God's creation, and given you the free will to do it how you see fit? Has anyone else ever said, come partner with me in bringing heaven to earth? God's love for you is extravagant. He wants you to see that. He wants you to know that and believe it and see it in his creation. So we're going to take a little turn here, but I want you to keep that thought in your mind. God's love for you is extravagant. Now, you remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the literary genres of Genesis. There are different genres in the Bible. And Ike taught us that about 95% of Genesis is narrative. Narrative means that a text, the text tells us a story. But when you read Genesis 1 and 2, which we just read all of 1, when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see that they're different genres. Now, some people use that to dispute the accuracy of the Bible. They say, well, one and two contradict each other. They're, they read differently, so it can't possibly be true, which I think that's a ridiculous reason, but they'll use whatever they can to try to dispute the word of God. But the truth is, is that Genesis 1 and 2 are different genres. Think about a narrated story, okay? A story that you read, a storybook that you pick up and you read. It doesn't often repeat phrases, right? No, it repeats, it weaves facts and description until you get a full picture of the story. Unless you're a long-winded storyteller, <laughs> then you repeat yourself a lot. But a song, however, repeats itself over and over and over again. It makes you feel something. It brings out emotion in you. It repeats the best parts of the story. It has highs and lows, and it moves you deeply. Think about the songs we just sang today. Were there parts of the song that were repeated over and over? Yes. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. Over the earth. And then it repeats it over and over and over again. Think back to Genesis 1. Think about how it's written. Repetition. Beautiful descriptions of God's creation and his response of pleasure and love for what he's created again and again and again. How many times did it say, and God loved what he saw? It's a song. Genesis 1 is a song of creation written for us. The masterpiece of his creation. God is singing his creation over us. He's singing this beautiful gift that he's made and invited us into with him. He's inviting us into the symphony of his orchestra. God the Father, the one who created everything, is singing over you. 
Now, I realize that to some of you, this makes you feel really uncomfortable. It makes you squirm a little bit to think of anyone, let alone God, singing over you. It's intimate when someone sings a song to you. It's hard enough to sit and listen to someone sing a song to you when they're on a stage and you're down in those seats and they're singing it to you. But what happens if you get right up in their face and you can feel their breath, you can look in their eyes, you can see the love and the tenderness in their eyes and you sing it to the person that you love. How many of you would be really honest right now and say, that makes me feel really uncomfortable? Yeah, me too. But that's what God is doing here in Genesis 1. He's saying, I know you're uncomfortable. I created you, remember? Were you there? I created you, and now I'm going to sing over you. I'm going to sing my love and my adoration and my creation over you. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but how many of you would love it if someone did that to you? <laughs> Brave people raising their hands. Yeah. God's doing it. He's singing a song of creation and adoration and love over you. Let me put it a little bit different way for those of you that said, that makes me really uncomfortable. How many of you have ever listened to music that deeply affects you? Yes, all of us, right? We were made to be musical, to feel something through music. When a certain song comes on the radio, you crank up the volume. Or how many of you have our song in a relationship? Or you have that song you can no longer listen to because that relationship doesn't exist anymore. It ruins a good song. That's what God is doing. He's saying, hey, this is our song. I'm singing it over you. This connects us. He wants you to take pleasure in his creation. He wants you to feel his deep love over you because it's more than you can even imagine. He's singing his love over you and he invites you to join him in and take pleasure in it with him. Now, Genesis 2 is narrative. It's a narrative, factual story of creation. And we don't have time to get in it, into it today. I'm not going to read it to you here. But I do want to ask you to do something this week. Go home and read both chapters. Read Genesis 1 and read Genesis 2. And see for yourself. Feel the different emotions behind each chapter. I think it'll give you a new perspective on this idea that Genesis 1 is a song that God is singing over you. And Genesis 2 is narrative. See, humanity was created to experience the pleasure of being loved by God. That's another why. We were created for his pleasure. And we sing to God. We get that from him. When we stand here, have you ever thought about that? Like, wow, we stand here and we sing to God. Like, it's just commonplace for us, right? But that's what our heart should be saying. Like, as we're singing, we're lifting up our praise and our adoration to God. We got that from him. It's part of his character. He did it first. He sang it first over us. You know, in a relationship, when you're the first one to say, I love you, and then it makes it a little bit easier to say it back if you're the second person. Oh, I love you too. He sang over us first. We know that shortly after this account of creation that sin separated us from a relationship with God, from the love of the Father, God was walking in the garden among his people. And because he gave us free will, that choice that they made separated them from God the Father. 
But because he so desperately wanted to be in relationship with you, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to earth to be the sacrifice that was needed to make a way for us to have the righteousness of Jesus over us so that we could once again be in fellowship with him. Because remember, Revelation 21, he's coming back to be among us. He's coming back to walk in the garden with us. This is so cool. Listen to this. Zephaniah 3, 17 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. Some of you need to hear me say today that the Lord delights in you. Earlier when Chris asked you to have a picture of Jesus standing in front of you, many of you saw disapproval in his eyes. Many of you saw him look away. Can I tell you that that is not at all what happened? His eyes were burning with passionate love for you. His eyes of fire. As he was looking at you saying, you are my creation. You are my masterpiece. You are the one that I adore. And that Zephaniah verse ends like this. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He's rejoicing over you with beautiful, joyful songs. He began creation singing over you, and he's still singing over you today. He's singing over you, and he wants you to know that. He wants you to know that his love for you is higher and wider and deeper than anything you could measure. So we're going to do a response that's a little bit different today, at least to begin with. Months ago, I heard this song. And it jarred me when I heard it. It just, man, it like got into the deepest parts of my soul. And I listened to it over and over and over again. And then I found out I was going to be preaching on creation, Genesis 1 and 2. And I heard the Lord say, you need to tell them how much I love them when you talk about creation. And he instantly brought this song to my mind. And so I text Phil and I said, hey, Phil. Is there any chance that on whatever, February, whatever the date is, that we could do this song after I preach about creation? Because God wants to sing this over you. So here's what we're going to do. I know normally we would stand up and we would all join in. But what I'm going to ask for you to do during this song, I'm going to ask for you to close your eyes and listen as God sings his love and adoration over you. Your mind is going to be blown when you hear these words. Because it's everything I just preached. So let God's love pour over you in this moment. As my daughter Jewel sings this beautiful song that the Lord is singing over you.